The four of you, along with Rose, made your way to the Shifting Willows by kind of stumbling through a forest. And you wound up in this strange quasi-interdimensional like shop. You met the owner of this shop, Bayette, and they agreed to help you as part of Rose's favor to help Tedward get back in his body. You spent some time with them and conducted some kind of ritual that strengthened Tedward's original body and his soul with memories that the rest of the party had about him, allowing Tedward to escape this blueberry body and switch back with Tuberry, restoring everything to good. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Tales of Asperon. If you're new to the show, we are an improvisational and collaborative storytelling podcast that's light on rules and high on storytelling. Now, what does that mean? Well, we sit down at our desks, pretend to be someone we're not, and then record it all to share with you. Then we put out an episode every other Friday. We're here to weave a tale for you to enjoy, second by second, line by line. And the best part of it all is that we have no idea what will happen next. Our story is being told with a game system you may or may not be familiar with, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. This just means that sometimes we roll dice to figure out what happens next in this story that we're making up as we go. Roll high? Maybe you stumble around and discover a long lost relic from your home inside of a magic shop. Roll low? Maybe you meet the author of your story and you quickly learn they want you dead. Let's roll the dice and find out together. All of you are currently sitting in this kind of semicircle around Tedward. His nose is bleeding. The book is kind of aggressively flapping all over his face and everyone is kind of laughing. You guys take a moment to kind of collect yourselves and you see Thurbash grabbed by it by the arm and they both walk out having some kind of quiet conversation as they walk down the hall. A little bit more time passes and Alea kind of gets up steals herself and walks out into the shop. In this moment, what would you like to do? You're currently in the ritual chamber with Tedward and he's sitting there um, as the book is kind of aggressively flapping on his face. Well, seeing uh, the book and Tedward having a nice moment, I figure it's probably best if I just kind of slip away and give them their moment. Okay. Are you trying to be sneaky? You're just kind of... Just like kind of wandering off. Okay. You make your way out and down the hallway um, that was formed to lead you to this chamber. And you walk into the large towering room that is kind of the open floor market of the Shifting Willows. Around you, there are dozens of racks of clothing um, suspended on the walls. You can see varying... Racks of armor and weapons and magical implements. And in the center of the room, there's a large glass rectangular case where Bayat was originally working when you first came in. Um, up above, you can see there are 
at least three floors of other sections of the shop. Some spots you can see plants curling over the railings and growing down. There's another spot further in where you can see smoke curling up and going towards some kind of vent in the ceiling. Is there anything in particular you, you might look for? In particular, no, but I would kind of just let things like kind of go and guide me to whatever felt like I needed. Okay, roll me a perception check, I think. All right, where do I put those dice? Critical fail. Nice. Um, so you yeah. wander around for a while, browsing through clothing racks that don't seem to quite catch your eye. You walk along um, a standing rack full of different types of swords and glaives and large martial implements that just seem a little more barbaric for, than your taste. Do you think Hele would go up further into the shop? Because this bottom piece is more clothing and like items you would carry with you. Whereas the, the floors above, just from a quick glance, you can see they have more specialized things. Is there anything stopping Haley? Like restrictions or anything saying Haley shouldn't go up? No. Then there's no, then Haley wouldn't, you know, Haley would just continue to wander wherever he could go. Okay. Um, so after spending a lot more time than you would have expected, kind of browsing through the clothing racks and just kind of wandering, you make your way up the staircase at the back and you pass a floor of gardens and in the distance, you can hear a muffled conversation. Sounds kind of like Alea. Um, and you continue on and go up further. And on the second floor, something catches your eye. You see rows and rows of bookshelves and scrolls. Um, and you make your way up to this, up these stairs, your feet echoing off of the hardwood beneath it. And you walk into this room and suddenly your footsteps are quiet and muffled as you walk through the um, the archway leading to this row of bookshelves and scroll racks. This place feels kind of comfortable and familiar because you grew up in a place full of really ancient and important libraries. What would you like to do? Just go over the titles of the books just to get a feel of what's all around. Okay. Um, so you walk through the shelves and just kind of moving your hand across the books, some are have been here for so long, their leathers are worn. You can see there might have been a title at some point, but there no longer is. Um, you pass by one book, and as you wipe the dust from the cover, you can see the title of this book is Hierarchy of the Undead. Another, as you wipe through, Orcish Leaders and Rebellions. Another, it seems like you're in some kind of scientific history. And you check a third and a fourth, and most of them seem to be lore of creatures or places or groups of people. Um, Do they seem to be in a particular order? Not one that you can... Uh, roll me an investigation check. I think with advantage because you're used to navigating libraries and such. All right. So yeah, 15. The first section you just happened to stumble across is very clearly um, historical accounts. You pop open one book and it's almost like a verbal retelling of undead. As you flip through this book, you can kind of quickly see that every story accounts for a stronger and more terrifying being. The further in you look, the scary and more dire the circumstances are. You put that book down and you pick up another one about um, drakes, um, drakes of the sea. 
drakes of the sky and the mountains. And you open this book and flip through and find something very similar. This section is transcribed tales of creatures. And then you move a little bit further down and you find another one that's transcribed tales of regions, places, um, like visual accounts and descriptions of the Pillar's Wake, Drogma Sea. Um, you find one book that is just full of sketches of the Diamond Mountains of the Amber Cascades. While you're sitting here flipping through the pages, um, you hear a gentle footstep behind you. And you hear the familiar voice of Bayette. Hello. Hi. Am, am I not allowed here? Oh, you're allowed to go anywhere in this establishment. It's what it's for. Okay. Do you like books? I like stories. Tales, not necessarily books. Yes. yes. Do you prefer verbal or written? A good verbal story is probably better. Hmm. I am a fan of written, but I do understand the taste. Um, What book would, out of the ones you were reading would you say you're holding right now? The Drake. The Drakes. Ah, Drakes. Yes. That is an interesting tale full of fury and ferocity. But they aren't all furious and ferocious. Oh, that is very true. Have you ever met one or seen one? From where, uh, where I'm from, there is one. Oh, and where would that be? I forget the island name. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. It's in your messenger. Uh, Mokopuni. Mokopuni. All right, thank you. Okay. Uh, Mokopuni. It's a small island. Would you be surprised to say that I've that I've heard of it? I should be, yes. Many many people and many things make their way through this shop. It's but a gateway to greater things. But how would Okay. Can you tell me how you learned of this? Of my people? My island? What's Haley's demeanor about this? Like suspicious, curious? Curious of the story, but suspicious as to how information of that he knows shouldn't be out there is out there. Well, as I said before, many people, many things come through this shop, and tales leave the lips of others. Some are recorded, some are not. And some people leave tales here for me to peruse. Like many of the tales recorded in the books you see here, I have... Spoken from someone from this Mokopuni, though it was, I'd say, at least a century ago. Ooh. Very long, long, long time. Do you remember who? Hmm. Walk with me. Perusing the tomes helps jog my memory. Okay. Um, and Bayat starts to walk. Um, and together you weave through the shelves, and they kind of just playfully run their hands along the spines of some of the books. They reach in and they pop one out and they go, hmm, no, not this one. And they make their way um, further and further weaving through these shelves. And can you roll me a wisdom save? All right. Uh, 13. 13. Okay. Um, as you're making your way through these shelves, you're starting to feel like you're losing sense of direction a little bit. Um, because as far as you know, the, the room didn't seem to go back this far, but it's moving and ex it feels like it's moving and expanding there's more space here than you expected and it's a little off-putting but Bayek goes from shelf to shelf and goes where where did where did i put it island homes no they push that book back in the shelf and they turn and they walk past what you can clearly see is a small alcove filled with racks of scrolls and 
in the center there's like a brazier sitting in this pool of like pure white sand and it's burning with fresh incense and the two of you walk by and you stop for a brief moment because something catches your eye that Bayet didn't quite notice yet behind these racks of shelves along the wall is a large large tapestry that looks like it's woven um, as an art piece and you recognize the sight of what this is depicting though it's much older and much more dated than you had ever seen it it's the port the port from the island where you grew up you can see these small white domed buildings lining the shores and a menagerie of ships of many different sizes and shapes and in the back you can see the, the rising mountains that lead up to the monastery where all of the scrolls are kept and it kind of shines on this little illustration like a beacon. What do you do? Uh, I wander towards it. Okay. You take a step in and your feet kind of softly tap down on the sand. You smell in the incense and it smells like home. You hear Bayat's footsteps on the hardwood stop and they backtrack for a moment. Hmm. This wasn't here a moment ago. This reminds me of home. And they look and go, The scrolls, there they are. Oh, everything moves here. It's so hard to keep track of sometimes. Every time someone new comes in, everything shifts around. Hmm. How, how does that work? Um, hmm. Can you roll me a persuasion check? Yeah. Natural 20. Wow. So with a natural 20, they say, This place is... The simplest way to put it, it's like a door to opportunity, a place. Oh, well, not, not quite a place. Um, it exists to fill the needs of others. And I, I tend to it. As new people discover the Shifting Willows, I am its caretaker. So as things shift in chains, I have to remember the layout, move things around, make sure everything is comfortable and helpful. Um, but sometimes... People bring um, odd change here. And they look kind huh. of all this over this cove and they have this kind of longing expression and they walk over to one of the scrolls and roll their finger over it gently. And they pull it out. And as they pull the scroll out, you can see the cap at the end is very clearly um, a stamp of a dragon turtle, the guardian of your home. And they unfurl the scroll and go, these, this is where they were. I don't know how I lost it. How long has it been gone? They look to you. Did you have anything to do with this? To do with what? Well, when we walked by, this wasn't here. At least in my eyes. It was here when I walked. When I turned and saw it when we walked by. Hmm. Well, it seems the Willows maybe needs to help you more than it needs to help me right now. At least help me find those tomes. Um, as they hold this scroll open and look it over, what do you do? They hold it open. Yeah, they're kind of holding it open and just regarding it, looking into it. It's like a long scroll that opens up lengthwise. Uh, Haley's tail is standing straight up, and he is peeking in as close as he can to it. Okay. Reading over Bayet's shoulder, you can see that this is written in... Roll me a history check. All right. Critical fail. Oof. Uh, maybe it's because you had trouble paying attention in school. You Probably. recognize the style of the handwriting, but you can't quite put your finger on why. You've seen it before, but you're not sure why. And you read over the tome, and it's a tale 
what looks to be a recounting of a verbal story of an adventurer who traveled from Mokupuni to find the grandest tales to return home. It talks about the beauty of the sky, the fresh smell of fish on the ocean, and the beauty of the rings at night as they're sailing away. And Wyatt shifts the scroll a little bit further. And now the story is recounting a port in a desert um, where this character first touched on land and the beauty and the menagerie of all of the different people that they've encountered. Yes, this, this person, I have not seen them for a very long time. The person who wrote this. Have you encountered anyone else from your island? From Mokobuni? Not since I got off it. How long ago was that? A few weeks. Not too long. Uh, so you are still fresh to the world away from your home? Very. Don't know what's going on. They put this scroll, they furl back up and put it in and open it up and unfurl another one. And by it kind of, it's just enjoying reading these stories and you're kind of reading over their shoulder. Um, and after two or three scrolls have been read and kind of deposited and put back, Bayat says, why do you like stories, tales, spoken, word, or ink? Uh, I don't, I don't really know. I've always been drawn to them. Hmm. Roll a insight check. This is what Bayat's good at. Um, Bayat walks through the scrolls and is continuing to kind of pull more out. And as they open another one, they just kind of, they, without looking at you, they say, have you written any of your own? Uh, no. I mean, I've, I was never supposed to. I was supposed to guard the stories. But now I'm sent out to make, or find them. Find them? That's an interesting flight. See, the person who wrote these, um, you may not know the name. I get the feeling it's been a very long time since they might have passed. But Kahakai, which you would recognize immediately as the name of the port that you see in the tapestry. Um, but as they say the name, they go, she hasn't been here for a long time, but I always enjoyed her tales when she would stop in. Her name was Kahakai? Yeah, and as you say that, roll me another history check. Uh, well. It hits you immediately. Kahakai. And then you remember, written over the, the Grand Arch in the entryway to your school, it was kind of a slogan. You don't quite remember what it was, but it now occurs to you that Kahakai, the port, was named after someone who shared that name. Kahakai was the first of your people to leave and the first to start finding tales to bring home. And as far as you know, no one had seen from them again. Does the scroll say anything about where they are now? Not this oh, one. Last, I should say that. You see, most of the scrolls here are written by her hand. As she would tell me tales of her adventures, we would sit in a circle, enjoy the incense and have tea. And I let her keep her scrolls here, her stories. And you can see here there are probably 15 or 20 scrolls, all of which you can tell by now are probably written by her hand. Did she ever come back to her island? Not to my knowledge. She was lost then. Um, and you see Bayat's kind of brow furrow a little bit with worry. That's concerning. And then it goes away immediately. They were a good friend. Mm. Sorry, enough reminiscing and melancholy from my part. You say you enjoy stories, yes? Yes. 
do you seek to be the one who tells the tales? And they motion to the scrolls. Or do you seek to be the one who tales are written of? And they would start to kind of look, not nervous, but just be kind of confused. Never really thinking about being in the tales themselves. I don't think I've ever thought of that. Well, maybe that's a start. See, this shop responds to those who need guidance. And apparently you needed to see this in some shape or form. Likely from, again, the shop, not myself. It is such a very, very small chance of you arriving in this very shop and finding this little cove. It's wondrous. They kind of walk around and regard over the scrolls a little bit more longingly. And you watch as Bayette starts to walk away. Right beneath the tapestry, you notice there's one scroll case that's empty. Um, it's like a... Almost like those little stands you see where they hold katanas on. Mm-hmm. Except this one would hold what looks to be a large scroll, but there's nothing there. And Bayette starts to walk out and wander towards the shelves again. You notice their body language is a little bit more somber than it was a few minutes ago when your conversation first started. Mm. What does Haley do? I would reach up and trace the outline of the uh, where the scroll should be. You reach up and as you do... Um, you run your hand over where you think the scroll should be, and you hear the very, very faint sound of the ocean's, ocean's surf, waves crashing against the beach gently. And it brings your eyes up to the tapestry for a moment, and you look down at the scroll stand, and you see there's a little plaque there, written in the same handwriting in all the scrolls you were just looking at. And it says, The Scroll of Kahakai. At this point, Bayad has kind of stepped out of this alcove and is looking around, and they look over their shoulder to you. What would you like to do? Uh, I'll ask, where's this one? Oh, that was that was her personal scroll. It was a master record of all of her stories. She always kept it with her. All of the scrolls you see here are copies, transcriptions from her works. But if she's lost, I so guess that scroll is as well. I guess, and then... And then we'll take one look around, one last look mm-hmm. around, and then followed by it. Okay. Um, roll me a perception check. Okay. Uh, 12. As you're walking away, you hear the sound of the surf again. You're not sure if it's like a sense memory or if it's even real. But you look over your shoulder again, and you see that along this tapestry at the bottom, there's you watch as one thread of fabric. You watch the the weave break and it curls outwards towards you a little bit. Like a small little, it reminds you of how you're, you grow calyx all the time when you get nervous or excited. You watch as the tapestry kind of peels a tiny bit. I'll wander over and just look at it. As, as you walk closer and closer to it, the sound of the surf gets louder. You can feel the sun on like a nice summer day at the beach on your face. And that little tiny curled piece of fabric is still sticking out of you. Uh, I'll grab it. You reach out and touch it with your finger. Can I get a strength save? Well, that's not good. <laughs> Four. As you touch it, you immediately feel... You've been swimming before. You've been swimming in the ocean. And sometimes you feel that moment where the surf pulls at your ankles and drags you backwards as a wave is incoming. As the water is making its way up to the shore. Normally, you'd dig your feet into the sand and steal yourself and 
hold against this tide. But this time, there's not enough sand, not enough grip. And you push your, you feel yourself kind of instinctively digging your heels as you feel something pulling on your ankles. And then your feet are pulled out from under you and you hear a bike go, oh, and you get pulled into the tapestry. And in that brief moment, you're assailed by hot sunlight and a whirling wind as you realize you're falling. An experience that feels alarmingly familiar. The same exact time when you appeared over the dragon turtle and fell down to the ocean. What do you do as you're falling? I try to claw, try to claw and find the sides. Okay. Um, you reach out with your uh, claws in the air, digging, trying to grab something, but you're falling through the air. The shop is gone. You're not sure how or where you've gotten here. And you look down at the surf and reflected in the sunlight deep below the water. You're in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere. Um, you see something shine with a faint light reflected off the sunlight back at you. And then you hit the water. And for a moment, your vision goes black. When your eyes open, you're on the seafloor. Around you is the murky, sandy depths where you may have just impacted. The sand around you is kind of swirling and moving, obscuring your vision. What do you do? I instinctively look for the uh, for the surface. Roll me a perception check. Uh, 16. Um, looking around, you don't see anything immediately. You paw through the water and you realize for a moment, uh, bit of fear wells up in your chest as you realize I need to breathe and I can't see the top and you gasp out air and the air bubbles leave your chest and you're fine strange but you're fine and you look around as the dust clears and in the distance you can see a shadow of something now what is your role in that perception check I rolled a 16 16 first thing you see is far away. You're not sure exactly how far because it's dark down here, but you see the towering mast of a ship sitting at the bottom of the ocean and moving in the current of the water you can see a flag. A flag that you haven't seen since you left home. It's the one that drapes the entryway to the temple of all, all the archives that you spent most of your life. And you go to take a step forward and you feel your foot touch something on the sand at your feet, something cold, something metal. What do you do? I walk towards the banner. As you walk forward, the thing that your foot is touching on the ground, the metal, lifts up and curls and floats up out of the sand for a moment. And as you walk forward, you see this scroll case now lifted and emerge from the sand, tumble and kind of dance on the sand. As you start to walk, to walk towards this shipwreck, do you do anything about the scroll? Uh. I grab it and carry it with me. You reach down and pick it up. And in your hand is this wide scroll case, maybe three feet wide. And at the caps of each end, there's a metal engraving of a dragon turtle, the guardian of your home. And this scroll case is pristine, considering it's sitting at the bottom of the ocean. It should be covered in rust and Moss, uh, not moss, um, barnacles and other sea life, but it's untouched. And as you lift it up, you see 
light reflected off of the bronze casing that wraps around this scroll case. You've never seen a scroll case that's ornate before. But as you look at it, you can see a reflection in the bronze that makes up its casing. Can you roll me a perception check? Of course. Uh, 14. The reflection in this scroll case is you, but you're older. There's some tufts of fur missing on the top of your head where you can clearly see a scar that wraps over from some battle. The clothes you're wearing in this reflection are different and more ornate than yours. And the reflection's looking back at you with a triumphant smile. And in that moment, you feel the surf pull at your ankles again in the opposite direction. And you look up and you see this shipwreck at the bottom of the ocean and the flag of your people kind of waving in the breeze. And as you're pulled backwards, can I get a strength save? All right. Uh, nine. Um, as you're pulled backwards, you start to raise your hand out and try and dig your feet into the sand because you want to go to this ship. You want to see it. And one step, two steps, your feet dig into the sand, and then you feel the seafloor get ripped out from beneath you as you're tugged backwards. And in your last moments, you see this standing kind of resolute flag, the symbol of your people, waving in the current of the sea and a shipwreck surrounded by crates and boxes and chests. And affixed to the figurehead of the ship, you see a large metal carving of a dragon turtle staring back at you. And then you're ripped backwards and tumbling and tumbling, losing track of where you are and what you're doing. And then suddenly you hit hardwood floor and that fresh smell of incense hit you as you tumble backwards away from the tapestry. Your fur is soaking wet, dripping with seawater, and in your hand is the scroll. And Bayek goes, Oh my, I am so sorry. Oh, are you are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. Are you sure? Yeah, I. It was weird. It was a lot. But I'm alright. What happened? Uh, I went, I think I went home for a period. You traveled from here. And I found this. Can you roll me an insight check? Inside, uh, 13. Looking at Bayat's face, you see first a look of recognition, immediately followed by sorrow. And then Bayat locks eyes with you, their silver kind of reflective pupils looking deep into you. That's hers. That's her scroll. Where did you find that? Just kind of picked it up on the shore. On the shore? Ooh, can you roll me a deception check? Uh, 19. Ooh. Um, in that moment, looking at you, covered in water, you see a look of kind of relief over Bayat's face. But if you'd like to, this would be a moment you can roll in sight. Sure. Natural 20. You can see the look on their face. This smile, this look of hopefulness is clearly a veil for sorrow. They just don't want you to see it. They connected some dots based on how you came back and how violent it was. It seems that was, that scroll is meant for you. For me. I haven't seen this alcove since Kahakai was last here. And you and I walk by and it suddenly appears to someone who's from the same place as her. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, I, I can see the reasoning. Bayat takes a couple steps closer, and they they say, This was her master scroll. It contains all of her tales. It is a magnificent 
artifact or relic, a piece of art. Oh, okay. Oh. And they put you, put their hand on your shoulder and look into your eyes. Please keep it safe. I will. And they reach down into the brazier where this incense is fuming. And they shuffle through the rocks and they pull out. Um, the dragon turtle you have, what is it made of? It is made of a uh, simple uh, sandstone. There we go. Okay. Um, you see Bayat shifting through the ash of this brazier. And they pull out a jade stone carving of a dragon turtle. And they say, if you ever need to return to this place and recount your tales, and they hand you the dragon turtle, she left this here so she could always return. I would like you to have it. But it's for Kahakai. She left this place here for someone, clearly. And I think that person is you. Are you sure? <laughs> the scariest part is I'm not. Okay. What do you do? I take the statue. Okay. Um, so you know this statue is a um, plus one spellcasting focus for you, just for you. Okay. I uh, I also leave my other one, uh, the sandstone. You place it down in the brazier, and in this pile of ash, it kind of stands out in stark contrast to all the darkened, charred bits of the incense that remain. And Bayet says, I think I need to take a walk around the shop. Um... If you find anything you like, just I'll be at the, the glass case in the middle. Um, I can ring you up, okay? They put their hand on your shoulder again. Thank you. You have helped me find some closure from a part of my past. Of course. And Bayette turns and walks away. You can hear their gentle footsteps on creaking on the hardwood floors of this little library that you've made your way into. And I think this is a good spot to fade away as... Haley's holding on to the scroll. As Haley begins to slowly peruse the books and tomes scattered among the shelves of the Shifting Below shop, our view pulls away and the menagerie around us becomes a blur of color and whimsy. Until we finally settle on Bayette, we see a small tear roll down their soft gray-skinned cheeks as their silver eyes glisten with a sadness that stands in stark contrast to their normal, cheerful demeanor. Held in their hand, with compassion and care, is a scroll from Kalakai's collection. On its end cap is a stamp, depicting two hands clasped in a comforting embrace. Among the rings of their calloused hands wrought with hard work and labor, we see a small silver ring upon Bayet's left hand. Simple in design, its body resembles a woven pair of loops split down the middle. Half of a ring with half of a ruby set into its grasp. In the dim, wavering light of the shifting willows, we see a small mote of silver light shine from within this ruby. The mote shifts and dances in an elegant performance, finally settling on the form of a pair of hands, also clasped in an embrace. The symbol of the Rosewood Order the clergy of the lover, divine of compassion and eternal love. Bayet regards the ring, and a smile crosses their face as the ring's dim light pulsing from within reminds them that this bond still remains. Kalakai lives, and she returns Bayet's compassion and kind. This bond, eternal, and they will soon see each other again. With a smile of relief, Bayette walks away from the shelves, 
to seek our dear Tedward and help free him from his now-cursed existence. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to The Midroll. If you enjoy our show, please take the time to support us by following us on Twitter, reviewing us on Podchaser, or just telling your friends about us. Storytelling is our passion, and I want to bring that passion to everyone, as many people as I can. If you want to name an NPC that's a non-player character for future arcs or one-shots, or, you know, maybe you just want to learn more about the show, check us out at www.toapodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at Tales of Asperon, as well as Facebook by the same name. If you like our show, you should take a look at Microphones and Monsters, another 5e actual play podcast. Take a look. Uh, we were actually, uh, me and my friend here. It points to a cat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, your friend's with a cat. Yes, he's, he's one of those uh, Dreamlands cats. So uh, he's more than a cat. Yes, and he is very lucky to consider myself his friend. What did he say? He said that I was lucky to consider myself his friend. Oh, okay. I, I do feel that way. Okay. Uh, I don't have too many friends. You really aren't that bright, are you? No. (laughs) Hey, it's me, Adam, the DM over at Microphones and Monsters. You just got done listening to a short clip from our show. Microphones and Monsters is a Cthulhu Mythos 5th edition actual play podcast. We ask you to join us every week, Monday and Friday. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find all of our links at microphonesandmonsters.com. All right, let's get back to the show. The four of you are inside of this ritual chamber. Um, If I remember correctly, the book flew across the room and hit Tedward in the face, and his nose started bleeding as it was kind of aggressively flapping at him after it escaped Rose's grasp. You're sitting here with the book, kind of regaining your senses. You're dizzy. You do have a point of exhaustion from this. Just a heads up. Um, Which means you have like disadvantage on, I think, ability checks. But while you're regaining your senses and kind of acclimating, one by one, Thurbash grabs Bayet and leaves to talk to them off to the side away from everyone else. And then not long after, Alea and Hele both make their way out of this room um one of them calls back and says you know we're just gonna we're gonna go browse and you're left with the book and rose is standing in there with you and she kind of leans down and goes well hi there welcome back uh hi i was a i was a blueberry for a while that happened your uh skin's still blue well really do you look down at your hands yes no you're fine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, you big lug. I'm just kidding. Ah, cool. Uh, where, where exactly am I? This is some kind of shop. Uh, yeah, you could call it that. Um, belongs to a friend of mine, and I'm casting a favor to help uh, get you back into your body. I do appreciate that. I uh, being a blueberry was weird. Bouncy. Yeah, that too. Do you feel any different now? I think my vocabulary is gone. Well, it seems like you're at least back to normal a little bit. She puts out her hand. Come on, let's get you up. Get you some food. Probably haven't eaten right in a while. 
I definitely do want to eat most of my body weight. She grabs your hand and pulls you up. And come on, I think we can uh, scrounge up some food. And she leads you down this long hallway into this ritual chamber. And the two of you step out into this large, wide room. On each side of you, in either direction, there are like dozens of rows of fine clothing and racks of goods. This just seems like a big, junky mess of a shop. Um, There are tons of things everywhere. Um, Can you roll me a perception check? Okay. That's an 11. Um, While you're standing here, the first thing that catches you is you smell like very sweet, sickly fruit. And then the smoke of a fire somewhere up above. And Rose is looking around. She goes, there used to be a spot somewhere around. There it is. Um, And she points across the room. And you can see there's like a little booth with a nook in one corner of the room. Um, And she starts to make her way over to it. What do you do? Hmm. So I already did my perception check. This is just like a... Sorry if I asked for clarification. Oh, no, you can... The perception check was for what I would describe to you. If you want to roll another one to actively look around, that's fine. Yeah, I kind of do want to look around. It's, yeah. I'm in like a big room full of like clothing. It's yeah, so like... it's a, think of a long, thin, rectangular space. There are tons of like round and flat, rectangular, tall racks of tons of different goods. You see clothing, you see weapons, you see armor. Um, you see some things hanging on walls that look like they're magic implements just because they're covered in runes and things you don't really understand um in the center of the room there's a glass case that kind of wraps around like a rectangle almost like at a jewelry pagoda um where you guys first saw Bayet when you entered the space Um, gotcha and when you look up above you you can see that there are three floors of extra like shop sections above um and they all have railings at the edges at the at like the side of your view. So you can see that there are at least like three or four floors of goods here. Oh wow. Yeah. This place is big. Okay. Tebu would definitely look around. If you recall, he got into this mess by going to a book sale. So Yes. Okay. Thrifting is very much something Tedward would be doing. Okay. As you I would start definitely to start to look around. Yeah, can you roll me a perception? Sure. Or investigation. That's a... I think they're they're equally bad. I think they're both <laughs> rolling at a minus one. Okay. So I think I got a seven on that. Seven. Perception. Okay. Because I'm not, yeah, I'm not investigating like a particular thing. I'm just mm-hmm. kind of meandering. So I think that's perception. Okay. So I would totally agree with that. So you make your way just kind of around the shop looking at goods. You find yeah. tons of clothes that don't necessarily catch your attention. You make your way up to like a rack of weapons aligning the wall and you see like varying swords and battle axes and glaives and fancy looking bows with weird quivers and strange arrows you've never seen before. Um, is there any reason why Tedward might not look at that stuff? Uh, Tedward's always been, uh, you've noticed more about punching things than using weaponry. So he's not really fixated on weaponry for a barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So Tedward would probably just be looking for weird stuff. You wind further and further into the shop. And after a little bit, it's weirdly disorienting. For some moments, you feel like you have a, a sense of the store around you. And you look around and it feels like things shift have shifted a little. And then when you focus on it, it's back to the way you kind of remember it. But then you kind of maybe think back to that like bargain bin-esque experience you had at the Emerald Crossroads in that life, that book fair. And you turn the corner and look down 
this aisle of two very tall shelves. And on either side, you can see that these shelves are filled with little tiny wicker bins full of just junk. Oh, yeah. This is where it's at. Sedward's going to look at the junk. You make your way in and you find one bin. Look inside and there are like tons of little curled lengths of wood. And you pick one up and you feel your lips kind of curl into a smile and you put it down. Um, and you pick up another one and it smells like fresh kindling for a iron. Smash fresh kindling for a fire. I slash slinging. Today. Yeah. Slash slinging slasher. Um, Is it like incense? Roll me a... Actually, you know what? This isn't an item you need to attune to. Um, you pick it up and look it over. Um, roll me an investigation check. I was going to say Arcana, but I don't think you need to. Okay. Oh, 16. Yeah. Um, you pick this thing up and you're like, oh, I've, I've seen wizards use these. So it looks like a wand. And you uh, kind of okay. like flick it. And as you do, the thing vibrates in your hand and that smell of like fresh cut wood gets stronger. And you watch as a stream of sticks and twigs just pours from the wand and piles on the ground. It's a stick of sticks. This goes <laughs> into the same category as bags that hold things. This is just somewhere there's just a very redundant wizard. Do you keep the stick on you? you no, I'm not really interested in the stick of sticks. Um, Do you keep looking in this bin? <laughs> Somewhere there's a wizard who goes, when he gets into a fight, he goes, A vast, a vast fiend. I have a riddle. What's brown and sticky? <laughs> a stick! And then he just launches. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um... Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep rummaging. Are they all wands? Is it just like a... Just the two particular ones. You grab the other one and... When you pick it up, you feel a faint smile start to curl across your face. What do you do? Smiling a lot today. Yeah. It's unnatural. The wand is making you do this. Okay, I was about to say, it's not because I recognize these objects. It's like, nope. as when I pick them up, I start smiling. Yeah, just this, this one, just particular this is, wand. This just a wand of smiles? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wand of self-esteem. Yeah. You're like uh, holding yeah. on to it and maybe you like see Rose in the distance and you peek out of the aisle and point it at her and you see a smile start to crawl her face and she's looking around the room confused. <laughs> That's funny. I would love to use that on a gelatinous cube, but... Yes! <laughs> or something that is patently incapable of smiling. Uh, I'll put that back and I'll keep rummaging. Okay. Um, continuing to rummage through, you see a small wooden pipe that is kind of ambiently like releasing this dark thick smoke in one bin you see what looks to be a mug on it with like an, an etching of a like a drunkard with their head asleep on a table um there's another one that is like a ruddy looking top hat and another that it looks like it's a um fishing pole i'm gonna like, put the hat on the bins um you put the hat on roll me a d3 a d3 uh, sorry, roll, roll me a d6 and we'll have it. Oh, okay. Uh, d3, I'm an idiot. Okay, well, I rolled a three. You feel something wet on your hair underneath the hat. Ew. What do you do? I almost don't want to take it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll bite. I'll, well, I'm, I'm going to take it off, but before I feel to see if my hair is wet, I'll just look inside it. Um, 
You take the hat off and you don't see anything, but the moment the hat comes off of your head, you hear a flopping sound as a fish just falls off your head and hits the ground and starts flopping away. How big is this fish? It's like a bass. Pretty big. I put the, I put the hat on again. <laughs> Roll me a D4 or a D6. <laughs> okay, five. Five, okay. Um, this one, the hat, while you're holding it over your head, you immediately started feeling it like rustling and shaking. And you hear like a squeaking coming from inside. You lift it up and a bat just takes off and flies into the room, like into the dark, a dark corner at the end of the uh, okay. aisle. It's not fish every time. Hmm. Is the fish still within arm's reach? He's flopping on the ground. He's probably got about two feet away. Yeah, I want to grab him and see if I can put him back in the hat. <laughs> um, You pick up the fish. Uh, roll me a dexterity check. Sure. Okay, that's uh, 11. Um, This fish is a lot floppier than you expected. You grab it and it's just kind of slipping in and out of your grip. But after Good. about 30 seconds, you get a hold on it and grab it and stuff it in the hat. And now there's just a fish in the hat. Doesn't go back whence it came. Nope. Mm, I definitely don't trust that hat. Infinite pest hat. The hat of vermin. I didn't know fish were considered vermin. Um, It's not. I kind of like the idea of it spawning fish occasionally. So do I. Where did this fish come from? Dr. Seuss stuff right there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep looking around. I'm looking for the looking for the weird stuff. Okay. I'm pulling up some a list here that I have. So do I get the impression that everything here is magical? They don't just have any normal stuff laying around like um, in this particular aisle, like the stuff that you've been grabbing is magical, but looking through these bins, you definitely find mundane things. You find like scrolls that have kind of just like, some of them have nonsense written on them. Others like you pick it up and it's like an elven photo album of like all <laughs> these cheesy photos of like a family of elves in these weird costumes. <laughs> like this is quite literally like a garage sale aisle full of stuff. Oh, that's good to their vacation to the astral plane or something. Yep. Um, what else is so, there? Family photo of lunchtime at the Yankee Jacks, the astral plane's best pizza place. A little bit further down the aisle as you're like browsing through these bins. You know, like you find broken pocket watches. Some of them work, some of them don't. Um, you find one that is like a staff, just a wooden staff leaning against one of the shelves. Ooh. What do you do? Do I get the impression that that's a magic staff? Uh, maybe. Because Tedward, Tedward's understanding of staves, by the way, is that they're just really big wands. That's and, not wrong. <laughs> and following his normal system of uh, of belief that bigger is is better, he just thinks that it's like it's like a giant wand, so it's gonna be really dangerous. What does he do? He's gonna pick it up. <laughs> um, roll me a intelligence check or saving throw. Well, it's a five, so I hope it's a check, not a saving throw. Okay. Um, while you're holding this staff, you pick it up off the shelf, and you feel it heat up in your hand and start to shake, and you swing your arm to throw it away. And as you do, you hear... <laughs> as you watch, a firework explodes out of the tip of the staff, flies down the aisle and detonates, and now some of the shelves are on fire. Oh my god. Does the other end make put out fires <laughs> you could try yeah I'm gonna flip it around um roll me another intelligence check okay this one's a 12 that's 12 much better um when you flip the staff around 
you kind of aim it towards the fire and keep it held there for a bit. And you watch as the fire slowly starts to quell. And then you're left with like a charred kind of smoldering shelf in front of you. I'm amazed that worked. I was convinced you're going to say you just fire a firework backwards into Rose. <laughs> Damn it. I missed an opportunity. So my understanding is right now I'm inside Weasley's Wizarding Wizard Weezes or yeah, whatever yeah. their shop was called. Absolutely. That's exactly okay. what this feels like. Um, but I'm gonna, as the firework. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to like put that that staff down and like shuffle as quickly as I can away from the burning shelf that I lit on fire. Um, so as you walk away, you can still like smell like fresh smoke on your nostrils, almost like someone lit a match. Um, you step out of the, the um, aisle and look to your left and look to your right and go to walk back towards Rose and you immediately bump into someone and you hear a familiar voice of Bayette go, oh, gee, is, is everything okay? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I heard an explosion. No. They I like fell. look down the aisle. I tripped. Roll me a deception check. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's another one of my minus ones. My big square honest face will betray me. Uh, okay, yeah, I just rolled a two. <laughs> I mean, I rolled a ten, so. Um, tripped. Wyatt looks up and down the aisle. I should probably keep everything like secure so that, you know, people can't just grab things and swing them around. That's that's on me. That's on me. Um, are you finding everything okay? Uh, yes. Don't really have anything particular that I'm looking for, so I'm okay. I'm just browsing and falling, falling over. I'm just gonna like I'm trying to like edge edge mm-hmm. around them as as we're talking. I'm imagining we're in an aisle. Yeah, you're like right at the edge of the aisle, but um, you're edging around there. And first, you notice in the background that Rose is sitting at a table. And she is just finishing up like a bowl of food and she puts it to the side and you watch as the table manifests another one and she's eating more. Um, what? And as you're looking at this kind of dumbfounded, you hear Bayeko, I'd hate to interrupt your um, b- b- browsing, but I was hoping I could talk to you. Okay. You've got about five minutes before I go to that magical buffet over there. Wait, let's, let's go over there. We can get some food. And then that we can discuss. Where does, that, where does that come from? It comes from somewhere. That does not inspire confidence. <laughs> I've never been poisoned by it yet. Okay. I can assure All right, you it's let's safe. go. All right, let's go. Okay, the two of you make your way over to this little, um, this round table with a booth behind it. And you notice where Rose is sitting, she's sitting in front of like a carved circle covered in magic runes and things of that nature. Mm. and beside that are two empty bowls. You look up and you see one that clearly has like the remnants of what could have been an egg and some rice. Um, Another looks like it was a bowl of soup. You know, nothing in this world is free, so there's probably an army of gnomes somewhere frantically cooking this food. (laughs) Inside the table. Well, for real? I haven't seen any. Yes, please, Um, please, have a seat. All you have to do is look at the thing and think of the food, and it will appear. Well, like any food? It is an object of desire, so I guess. Hmm. I haven't found a food that it can't conjure. Then again, there are a lot of foods I haven't tried to conjure. I wonder, ooh, what would happen if someone was like, I wonder what people tasted like. Would it appear at the table? Oh, that's so morbid. 
I'm sorry. Derailed. <laughs> I wasn't going to think of that, but now I can't stop. <laughs> Bayad sits down at the table and they go, please have a seat. Um, I need to talk with you, if that's okay. All right. Tedward's um, wondering what a good old gnome filet would taste like. Um, you look down at this and you watch as the wood bends and shifts and starts to form into the shape of a plate. And as the plate appears, a swirl of light manifests and there's a steak woodcut. Oh no. <laughs> Testing your steak knowledge here. I said I imagined a gnome filet. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just like a big ham hock of gnome leg? Um, a no, wait, a filet of a gnome? Jesus Christ, Edward, they're intelligent people. <laughs> well, all right, well, here, here's it. what we'll Put leave that you in my head. So here's what happens. You look at this steak and you're like, I don't know what state that is. A steak appears. You don't know where it came from. Yeah. Can I unwish the food? If I'm like, never mind, does it? I, yeah, as you think of this, you watch as it kind of evaporates. Tedward breathes a sigh of relief. <laughs> and he just imagines mashed potatoes and cheese. Yep, a bowl of um, like fresh whipped mashed potatoes with like nice melty cheese drizzled on top appears oh, yeah. with a spoon in it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to just remove the spoon and start putting fistfuls of that in my mouth. Okay. While you're shoveling all this in, um, Bayek goes, so I would like to talk to you about that tome you carry with you. Yeah, what about um, it? In my days as a practitioner of the arcane, I have... Never seen an artifact of that strength. Well, I got it at a used book sale with a wizard. Roll me persuasion check. That's the truth, though. Well, I know. All right. I mean, my persuasion check is a six. Okay. <laughs> um, the truth is a six. No, I, I also rolled insight. I want to see how it was to see how Bayet reacted to this, not to see if you're successful or not. Um. For her, for them, it makes it seem like how much Tedward believes that to be the actual truth. Bayek goes, that, that may be so, but what did you wish for? What are you talking about? You don't rem- That's what this is doing to you. Bayek looks you directly in the, in the eyes. Do you remember opening the, the tome for the first time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Looking around, a stack of books, opened it up, and it had some crappy drawings in it. This, this book. Wait, where is it? And in the distance, you can hear, like, stuff being knocked over, the book flapping. And then after about 10 seconds, it hits the table, slides through the hall. If you want to read it, just say that you want to hear the tale of the mighty Tedward. Works every time. Um, I would like to hear the tale of the mighty Tedward. And the book opens up to the front and the pen points to the first page. And Bayat starts reading. And may I cast a spell on this? Sure, I don't see why not. They wave their hand and you watch one of their earrings kind of glow with this faint blue light. And they run their hand just over the pages. Huh. I would like to see the moment Tedward opened this book and the pages flip and it opens up to a particular spot. Well, this book here says 
You stole it from the dying hands of a lich? They look at you with an eyebrow in the air. Well, I got the book cell was really old. I suppose that's just poetic license. Likely. Before you had this book, do you remember wanting anything very badly? Uh, yeah, lots of things. Uh, more books, which is why I was at the book sale. Uh, books about anything in particular? Yeah, yeah, I like, you know, good old beat-em-ups, adventure novels, swashbucklers. As you say this, you watch Bayet's eyes kind of narrow and look over you. Did you always want to be a hero? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, at first I just wanted to be a really good farmer. And then, well, you know, at a certain certain stage, you realize there's more to life than farming. If I didn't know that there were more than farms, I'd still be farming. But, you know, it's a big world. There are dragons to punch. There are witches to kill. What made you leave home uh, to pursue this? I don't remember. Huh. Just read the book. There's an index, a table of contents. Um, Bayat says, I wish to see when Tedward left home. The book flays open to that particular page. It says here your family farm was destroyed by a giant? Yeah, I remember that. Huh. Tedward, I would like to try something a little risky. Would you be uh... willing to indulge? A, um, an arcanist's curiosity? Tebra just shrugs with a... He's, got, he's double fisting a giant helping of mashed potatoes right now, so he's nonverbal. You watch Bayad reach into their... Um, a pocket of their shirt. This kind of like very ornate looking um, robe they have on. And they pull out a small emerald. And they place it on the table and look at the book. And they start mumbling under their breath in a language you don't quite understand. And as this is happening, you watch the book, all of its, it closes up. The pen goes back into its resting position. And then in that exact moment, can you roll me a d20? Okay. That is a 14. Ooh, I rolled a 15. Perfect. You watch Bayette reach forward and go to put their hand on the book. And then the moment their hand touches, the book starts to freak the hell out. It starts to try and flap away. And Bayette, they're pushing their hand on it harder and harder and it's freaking out. And you see a golden light start to come out from the pages and Bayette takes the emerald and slams it down on the cover of the book. And you watch the book go and get sealed inside the emerald. And it's sitting on the table and you watch the emerald like rock around every once in a while. The book is inside the emerald. Yeah. Pokeball style. Do you remember why you left home now? Oof. I feel a little weird. Hold on. I think I might have eaten too many potatoes, if that's possible. You might be a little bound up. That can happen uh, from time to time. Uh, okay. It's coming back to me. Well, I remember my parents sent me to another village to... Uh, buy some seed corn and then there was a peddler there and he was telling stories for a coin which they sometimes do normally my parents would just tell me to go inside and pay him no mind but they weren't there so 
I bought my seed corn and then I listened to him for a while and he told me all sorts of things about the cities and the heroes and all sorts of stuff. In that moment, I, I had to know. I had to see the world. And as you're saying this, you kind of notice Rose has stopped eating. Tedward? Why did your voice just change? I have no idea. I need to tell you this now. And puts the emerald in front of you. This book is changing you in a very violent way. From what I saw back there with that ritual, it's carving up your soul and making a mess of it. You wish to be a hero, yes? Before you found uh, this book? Uh, yeah. Well, it's turning you into that. Except I think it's... You said you like beat-em-ups. Yeah, guilty as charged. It might be using those as a template to alter you. Oh, oh that's disturbing. Is that what you truly want? Uh, not really, no. Oh, I rolled a natural 20. As you say, not really, no, you watch as the emerald shatters. And the book plops back down on the table and the feather pen zips right up to your face and kind of hovers in front of you. What do you do? Hmm. I'm just kind of staring cross-eyed at it and trying to like shovel more mashed potatoes into my mouth around the this new obstruction of a feather floating in front of me. By the way, um, to lead into what you, the gift you just gave me there, but when the book breaks out, all of its influence returns. Mm. And the feather pen like points to your face and tries to poke you. What do you do? I'm like swat it away. Um, it flies away aggressively. And then zips closer and starts smacking you in the face. Yeah, I'm eating here. Hold off with that for now, buddy. You watch as the book lifts up off the table and the pages kind of start to furl into like an angry brow and it glows with light and you hear Bayek going, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, Rose, get down. And you watch Bayek kind of leap away from the table and Rose is just looking there stunned and a golden light washes over you and everyone at the table. After a moment, everything's black and you open your eyes and you're sitting inside of, well, uh, yeah, still sitting inside of what looks to be some kind of study. There are like tons of pieces of paper with like haphazard scrawled writing all over it, pinned to the wall. It's almost like that scene in Always Sunny with like <laughs> the conspiracy board, but it goes all over the wall in the room. And roll me a perception check. Okay, that is a four. Oh my God. A four. Um, you don't notice, you can't see any other creatures in here with you. You're inside of a study that is probably a 20, 20 foot by 20 foot room. It's a big square. Um, there's a writing desk at the back of the wall with a lit lamp casting a light on what looks to be a journal. Um, there's no windows. And the light in here, you're not exactly sure where it's coming from. But you do hear one thing. You hear like a frenzied scribbling. And then you hear, no, no, that's not right. Mm. 
All right, I want to look around, see who said that. Okay, you look around the room and take a moment to take all this in. First, I want to tell you while you're in here, um, you don't feel the book's presence on you. While you're looking around, you see there's a separate writing desk against the wall, um, away from the one with the journal and the light. It's kind of cloaked in darkness, and there's a very, very faint blue light. And you can see that light is illuminating the silhouette of a figure. Um, and you can see a large feather quill dancing in the light. And that figure shifts their weight, puts their hand up on their forehead. And you hear, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, excuse me. They, you see their shoulders stiffen up for a moment and they turn over to look at you. Tell me, what does Tedward imagine as like the perfect version of himself? Like, what would he look like as the best hero ever? The perfect version of Tedward? Yeah. Is basically Tedward with about 15 to 20 more pounds of muscle on him, another foot of height, and with a cape that's not made out of a, out of a picnic blanket. Just kind of like a formalized version of Tedward's whole aesthetic. You see in front of you, this individual pushes back from their chair. You can hear the wood scrape on the ground and they stand up a foot taller than you. Their oh, body wow. is rippling with muscle. Across their back, you can see the scars of battle. Leaning against this desk, you see a great sword, bigger than the light you've ever seen, covered in gemstones all over its pommel. And it's leaning against the desk. And you turn around to see yourself, older. He has like this grayed beard, Hi. Hi there. How did uh, how did you get in here? Uh, 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 my brain is melting a little bit right now. Ha uh, ha. Brain hurt. Are, are you all right there, fella? Uh, look, look, man. Wait a minute. Whoever whoever you are, a couple hours ago I was a blueberry and now I'm in a room with two of me. Where am I? Wait a minute. You were a blueberry? Oh, yeah. That was weird. I was a blueberry. No way. How did you get it? Join the club. What happened to you? Saw an angry ghost. Big one. All black, made of shadow. This is incredible. So did I. Was there like a sort of weird glowing weasel? I think I remember a weird uh, stretch rat. Yeah. Glowy. Cat snake. Yeah. That's, yeah. a, that's such a better word. Thank you. So, uh, gonna float a little conspiracy theory here. Just, uh, feel free to jump in, but I think you're me. I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Right. Where, where are we right now, exactly? Well, I, I don't know. How did I've you get here, in here for, this is a, DM question. How long has Tedward had the book? I feel like at this point, only like a, only like a year or two. Yeah, about a year or two. I was fighting a monster and nearly cut its head off. Well, all eight of them. And some of its blood got on my face. And then this golden white light appeared and I woke up in here. Oh, well, my wounds were healed. I guess that's good, but I have a need to eat. 
Why do I say no mashed potatoes? Yeah, sorry, I didn't save any. Uh, I, st- I, lo- I look down and there's like, there's just like a like half a handful still clenched in one white knuckled fist, and I kind of like offer it to him. Yeah, he can't resist. He leans forward and grabs his hand and scrapes it off yours and puts it in his mouth. I haven't eaten in so long. How are you still alive? Good God. Something is keeping me alive here. I think it wants me to write. Like write a book about myself or something. That's that's weird. Yeah, most of these. And you see this person walk around the room and start pointing to pages. This one is how I left home. And this one was my first adventure. I met some folks in a tavern with a lion made of fire and a giant rolled in and I flattened the whole town. Yeah, I remember that. That was a good day. Punched like four people. Wait a minute. You remember that? Yeah. You can't be me. What are you talking about? That didn't happen to me. It's just a book. No, I did that. I was in the town and the giant rolled in and I punched him and I threw me through a window and then I got out of the window all all cool looking and I was like, you're going to pay for that. Not enough fiscal sense. And then I started punching him. There was, like you said, there was a lion made out of fire in an inn and I got a really nice jacket. Yeah, he walks forward and starts inspecting your face and he like grabs your cheek and pulls. He like, Sticks his finger in one of your mouth and lifts up to see if you're missing Ah. any teeth. Ah, Bite his finger. Ow! Why? Hands off the goods, pal. Back molar on the right. All the way in the back. Very, very, very back one. Do you have it? Refresh my memory. Did I lose that tooth? No. Oh, you know what? You did lose teeth. Let's make this canon. I was just hoping you would yes end. No, wait. Because he was going to say he lost it to a donkey. Wait, wait a minute. No. If you recall... I had a tooth put in upside down, remember? <laughs> yes, there it is. Um, he goes, that one, that. And he lifts up his lip and he sees there's a tooth in that's upside down. How did you lose it? Or how did it get like this? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> he puts his hands on your shoulders. Neither do I. You are me. We got to get you out of here. Um, he starts looking around. And as this is happening, both of you, or you see his shoulders tense up for a minute, and he hears. And you hear the scratching of the book again. What do you do? I look around for the scratching. What's the origin of that sound? Um, Roll me a investigation check. Okay. It's a... Ooh, it's a 14. 14. Um, You look, and you notice like a faint shadow against one of the walls. It looks kind of humanoid-ish, and that's where the scribbling is coming from. And you see this Tedward, his shoulders tighten up, and he goes over and sits down in the chair, and he goes, I have to keep writing. If I stop writing, it gets real angry, and it hurts me. And he sits down and starts writing again on the book. What is Come a memory on, that's not oh, super no. important to Tedward? A memory that's not super important to Tedward. Yeah, like a minor detail or something. Hmm. Tedward knows how to make really good fertilizer <laughs> oh damn it i can't make that grandiose that's okay um more like something that happened to him okay i should have been clear <laughs> so 
something that happened to Tedward that's not that important. Yeah, like a minor thing. First time Tedward got kicked in the head as a child by a, by a by a farm animal. Um, in your memory, you're imagining this. It was like a, the family sheep. Um, you were there, and your dad was like shearing it, and it just let off one foot loose and clunked you in the head, and you hit the ground. And you notice as this per- this version of you is writing on this desk, you watch that sheep in your memory start to twist and change, and its head turns into a lion and wings sprout out of its back as it suddenly becomes a manicure. Sounds about right. We did have manicures on that farm. You see the writer stop and look over their shoulder. Me, come here. Okay, okay, okay. I go over. He points to the line. How did you get kicked in the head? Uh, my father was shearing a manticore. Oh, shit. I really didn't know you could get wool off the thing, so I'm going to have to try that the next time I see one. That's really cool. Roll me a dexterity saving throw. Uh, ooh, 17. In here, you're not affected by exhaustion, by the way. I forgot I was having you roll everything at disadvantage. Roll me a d6. Four. You take 10 bludgeoning damage as this man stands up, swings around, and just hits you in the face with a back fist. And you stumble backwards onto the ground on your ass. Ow, why? You did this to me. Hey man, that makes no sense, I'm you. I think you are, but you're remembering things that I'm writing. And he come here, he reaches down and grabs the collar of your shirt. Do you do anything? I'm gonna dial H for headbutt. <laughs> Give me an attack roll. Okay, that's a uh, 14. 14 hits. Um, he rolled low in his dex check. Roll me a d6. That's a uh, three. Three. Um, okay, so you deal six damage to this guy as you headbutt him in the face. And in the midst of that struggle, he reaches back to punch himself, to like punch, technically he's punching himself. <laughs> he reaches back to punch you again and misses and kind of slips to the side and you guys start to roll on the floor. And he goes, don't you understand, you idiot? No, I don't. I wonder, I wrote, I wrote you to be stupid. And he headbutts you <laughs> for five bludgeoning damage. Um, and he goes, I've been in prison here for a little over a year. How long? How long have your memories been changing? I don't know, about a year. And I punch him. Oh, oh give me the attack roll. Okay. 16. Um, this one misses. You swing forward to punch him and he grabs your hands in a, hands in a, flo- a counter that you, as Tedward, would never have dreamed of been able to doing so perfectly. And he puts you on his back and ties your arm behind him. And he goes, you don't understand. Something grabbed me and had me start writing things down. And then, about a year and a half ago, your memory started to change. If you are me, then I'm erasing me by writing stuff into your big, thick, dumb noggin. He's kind of got you grab on the ground. What do you want to do? Like I said, we got to get you out of here. I don't really see how you attacking me is helping. If I kill you... There's nothing left to write to. Um, and he raises his, his hand up, and you watch the great sword lift up off the desk and fly to his hand. Oh, that's pretty cool. And he raises it in the air. He was sitting in a chair, was he not? Yep. 
<laughs> Ted Ray's gonna go take a seat and hit him with the chair. Okay, give me a uh, attack roll. We'll just call okay. it. Okay, that's a fourteen again. Fourteen. Um, that passes against his deck. Dex. His dex is terrible. I got <laughs> similarly to some of your experiences. Um, you reach forward with your foot and pull the chair backwards because he has you pinned to the ground. Um, but you have just enough leverage to pull the chair back and knock him over. Um, and he goes to swing the great sword and it cleaves into the floor and it cuts in like butter and he's pulling it out like it's stuck. Um, and he raises his hand to you and you hear the scribbling again. And he lifts the sword to swing for another time. What memory goes through Tedward's head right now? Hmm. Tedward remembers leaving home, like actually leaving home. Uh after he got back from that first time at the market, just like realizing he wanted to see the world, he actually leaves home in the middle of the night and decides to go out and try to get a job however he can with any caravan or traveler that's going to head into the city. And he just leaves home in the middle of the night and doesn't tell anybody. Is that when he goes off in his adventure? Mm-hmm. And that's all he takes with him is a bindle made of a picnic blanket with a couple of potatoes and apples inside of it, which he still has. As he swings the blade forward, your hands kind of come up in like an instinctive response to try and block. And you hear the ruffling of pages as all these papers come flying off the wall and wrap around you in a whirlwind. And in that moment, that memory is vivid in your brain and you feel the pages getting stuck to your hands as they're wrapping by. What do you do as this blade is kind of coming at you in slow motion? I don't really know what I can do. Can I roll out of the way? Yeah. All right, I'll do that. Um, roll me a dexterity check. Okay, that's a 10. You just passed. Um, I rolled a two. Um, the blade swings over your head and you duck down and you feel the paper of this, of these pages flying around, start to wrap around your hands more and you see writing starting to appear on the, appear on the pages. And in that moment, that swing, it looks like this Tedward swung too hard and he lost his footing. What do you do? I kick him in the butt. Give me an attack roll. Okay. Uh, that's a nine. You swing forward and your fist goes way too short. Roll me a d6 anyway. Ooh. Uh, okay. That's a two. Um. This Tedward, while he's standing there, you go to you go to punch forward, but you're a lot further away than you expected, probably about six feet. And your punch comes about a few inches short. But as your fist stops in midair, you feel a force kind of leave your hand and you watch as this Tedward knows, you hear a crack and blood starts pouring down their face. And you can see that written across this paper that's wrapped itself around your arm is words, some of them which you recognize because it's describing your memory to near perfection. Like the actual memory, not yeah, like the exaggerated. Yeah. Oh, cool. What do you do? I'm going to punch him again. Okay. What's another memory? Um, the first night on my own on the road, kind of like comically huddled under a tree and what is it actually a very safe area of countryside, but like scared out of my mind? Okay. Like sobbing and eating a raw potato. <laughs> yes. Um, as you raise your other fist back, I'm not even going to make you roll for this because it fits the narrative. And that scene is a gem. 
um, you feel more paper rot, like flying through the air, sticking to your hands. And you watch as writing starts to appear on this page as well. And when you swing your fist forward, you feel a burst of energy release from your release from your fist and knock this Tedward back 10 feet into a wall. And you hear the wood splinter and you watch the great sword fall to the ground. Um, and he looks up you, at you with anger and fear in, your, in his eyes. And you hear a voice, a familiar voice. You haven't heard it in a very, very long time. What do you wish to be? Him or something better? Uh, right now, I just want to get out of here. As you say this, the maelstrom of paper starts to swirl around you more and more and more and more. Um, what do you do? Is Does this portend like some kind of magic portal opening or is it just paper flying around? For now, it's paper flying around, but it's going so hard, it's like obscuring your view. I'm just going to wait a second and see if if this paper is building up to anything or if it's just trying to like intimidate me as this happens you're standing there and the paper swirling and swirling and you can hear the other tedward screaming as he rushes towards you you can hear his footfalls on the wood and you watch as a, a met this magic great sword cleaves into the whirlwind of paper and barely misses your faces and as it does it parts the storm of pages around you and you can see the whole room as just dematerializing and fading away into light and as this te- this blade passes through, you see this other t- Tedward's hand reach forward as he's yelling into the maelstrom. And then the paper overwhelms him and you're suddenly thrust backwards. And you find yourself again in Bayat's shop and you roll away from the table and hit the ground hard. Um, looking ahead of you, you can see Bayette huddled underneath the table, a frightened look on their face, along with Rose. Tedward, are you okay? Oh, that is a that is a difficult question to answer. <laughs> I was in a room and there was another me, but he was an asshole. And he punched me and tried to kill me with a sword, but I think I have to get him out of there. And as you say this, you notice, you look down and you see your hands have these wraps around them, almost like a monk's wraps, except they're all made of this very sturdy and ancient looking paper and scrawled across the inside of your left palm you can clearly read the memory of you leaving home. And across the other is the memory of fear and terror and you sitting underneath that tree, crying, eating a potato. I don't know if I want that written down. (laughs) Um, And while you're looking at it, you look up and you see the book on the table. Its brows are no longer furled and the pen is just pointing at you like it's scolding you. What do you do? What is the status of that bowl of potato, mashed potatoes? <laughs> did, that get like, did that get like thrown too? Because I'm still really hungry. I rolled a natural 20. Everyone else's food is all over the walls. But sitting perfectly right in front of that book is your pristine bowl of potatoes and cheese. Good, I'm going to go back to eating that. Okay. I'm going to kind of eye the book and just go like, I'm watching you. Um, and as this happens... You see Bayette very cautiously, they stand up. Say, but are you all right? Are you sure you're all right? I'm not bleeding, so physically I'm all right. But like I said, I think there's another version of me that is imprisoned in a sort of weird writer's workshop. You see the pen nod up and down, like a yes motion. 
Is it just me or is that book nodding at me? Um, it is. And Rose goes, Talk. yeah, yeah, that's definitely nodding. And the pages furl open to a new spot. And the pen hits the page and just starts scrawling. Do you read it? Yeah. The same exact question. Do you want to be like him or do you want to be better? I want to finish my mashed potatoes. And as you say this, I think that's the perfect moment to cut. Your voice echoes through the shop and you hear a stifled giggle <laughs> come from Bayette as the pages of the book furl shut and the pen, just the feather of it, taps you on the nose kind of like scornfully and hits the cover of the, the, this leather book. And then we fade away. And uh, at a distance, we can see... <laughs> no, go ahead. That was it. That's all I had. Um, and then we fade it. The camera pulls back further and further as we see the other members of this party searching through the shop and buying goods for themselves. As Bayette walks away from Tebward, their calm and positive expression quickly fades to one of concern and worry. Far from the desires of their customers and the bonds of their patronage, there is a moment for Bayette to think to themselves while their customers peruse the shelves. A bear of light and shadow, and a crystal of obsidian, filled with necromancy. Gods, I hope I am wrong. Bayat now stands within the center of the glass display cases in the middle of the room. Here, jewels and items reflect light from the arcane lamps and baubles throughout the room, casting Bayat in a glorious splendor of light and whimsy. They crouch down on the floor and wave a hand, inciting an incantation we cannot hear as a small chest materializes from the ether. They procure a key from their sleeve and click open the arcane lock, protecting the contents within. Inside, we see a single scroll, unfurled, and read the following. Hello, patron of necessity. You do not know me, and I am not from the world you call home. My home is long gone, and I, I fear yours will soon be as well. I'm writing to you to extend an offering of partnership. Patrons like ourselves, we tend to survive on our own, helping only ourselves. I beseech you and ask you for your aid. There will come a time when light dances within creatures of darkness and crystals of obsidian will carve wounds into the world you call home. Know this as the fury of the stars and it will come for us all. When that time comes, use this coin to contact me. We have one chance, and we can only survive it together. Keep these relics safe until we meet. The end may be approaching. Signed, the Prince of Fools. Within this chest, we see four items. One, a pair of ancient gauntlets carved from the shell of a great turtle. A long, sharpened knife carved from the tooth of an ocean leviathan. And the head of a spear carved into a bolt of furious lightning. Charles, I hope for all of us that you are wrong. Then, Bayette removes a small coin from within. On one side, a jester's hat. The other, a lily in bloom. With the wave of a hand, the chest is gone, and the coin quietly slipped into Bayette's pocket. 
Their concerned expression quickly fades behind a mask of joy and positivity as their new customers make their way to the checkout line of the Shifting Willows. Hey everybody, thanks for sticking around and I really hope you enjoyed that dive into Haley and Tedward's story. I think they're pretty juicy. I've got great news. We finally recorded our Kobold one-shot, which will replace our next episode release on the 8th. It was an absolute blast having Nikki and Susanna as part of our production, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. It's hilariously manic. Our songs and ambient music for this episode are features from Kevin McLeod and Sword Coast Soundscape, respectively, which you can find on our episode description and on Bandcamp. If you like the show, tell your friends. Reviews are great and so appreciated, but share us with the people you care about. If you haven't heard, we're also giving away a set of Whispering Lake-themed dice from Q Workshop. They're glow-in-the-dark, and they look so cool. You'll find the tweet for the giveaway pinned to our Twitter and the rules for entry there. We'll be announcing the winner on the 1st of next month. Stay safe, stay healthy, and see you soon. you were gonna be like as as we, our view pulls out you see outside of this magic shop a mashed potato golem lumbering towards <laughs> menacingly yes and an evil voice saying indeed tedward would finish his mashed potato <laughs> <laughs> you've just given me a plot hook friend <laughs> and it's the lord of the rings music like dun 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 <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'm gonna remember that. This is gonna be in the goose <laughs> and audience. This is gonna happen, and he's never gonna know when. <laughs> it's like um, uh, you watch uh, How I Met Your Mother, right? Yeah. It's like the the slap game when they have no idea when they're gonna get slapped. Oh yes, that's exactly what this is gonna be. Except it's gonna be mashed potatoes. Enjoy that <laughs> bowl. It's your last one you'll ever enjoy. It's. it's I'm going to have to fight a mashed potato golem. Uh, All right, cool. I'm going to stop the recording real quick.